Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to walk you through a preview of week two. If you want to stay on top of all the new content that we're putting out here throughout the week, every week of the season on the YouTube channel or the various podcast listening channels, hit the subscribe button right now below this video or subscribe to whatever pod service you're on. We're putting stuff out throughout the week throughout the season. We appreciate you riding along with us, and we're here to try to help you win. So, Jared, now let's run through some of the top stories, top questions, top decisions for lineups in week two. And we're going to start in the same place that we started last week, and that is with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And it seemed like more of a no-brainer at this time last week, at least to me, that we go ahead and put Joe Burrow into our lineups. But he had a bad week one. Like, however bad we could have thought it might go, it was – 50% of that. What are we doing? Are we betting on an immediate rebound for Joe Burrow and the Bengals? I am, and he's still an easy start for me this week, uh, along with T. Higgins. So, you know, goose egg, just part of the T. Higgins experience, right? You're going to get some bad games from T. Higgins. Yeah, I think it was the matchup we talked about. I mean, he struggled against Cleveland in the past, and I do think the Browns defense is going to be good this year. Um, There's probably some rust for, for Burrow after, you know, missing most of August with a calf injury. And then the weather was definitely a factor in that game, too. I mean, Deshaun Watson also struggled. I think the weather is something to keep in mind next time we get Joe Burrow in a you know sloppy game like that. But um, yeah, assuming the weather's okay this week, I think you know he, he gets Baltimore. The Vegas lines are concerned about the Bengals. They have a 25-point implied total. That's the sixth highest on the week. And the Ravens are definitely without safety. Marcus Williams, uh, cornerback Marlon Humphrey is iffy for this game. So you know, to me, it's not really a, a scary matchup for Burrow. Yeah, I heard Josh Norris of Underdog make a comment about the small hands thing that we all kind of chuckle at at um, combine time. But, you know, when it's wet, there's that's when there's potential for it to be an issue. So maybe it's something to consider in the rain. Also, with the wet field, a guy coming back from a calf injury probably would have been a good reason to downgrade him some. There's some chance of light rain in the forecast for this week. We'll obviously be watching that as it gets close to Sunday. We're not going to make weather predictions on Thursday for Sunday games, but we'll certainly be watching that. You mentioned the matchup with the Browns. I looked at the numbers against the Ravens last year and Joe Burrow actually fared worse in two meetings with the Ravens than he did in two meetings with the Browns. That said, as you already mentioned, Marlon Humphrey was on the field for both of those games. He's their top corner. He's currently injured. Marcus Peters was on the field for the first game against the Ravens last year. He is currently a Raider. Marcus Williams, starting free safety, got hurt midway through the first meeting last year and returned for the second meeting. So it's a much different secondary. And Marcus Williams just tore a pec muscle last week, so he's out. So it's a much different secondary this week. That said, we do have Joe Burrow lower in our rankings this week than we normally would for a fully healthy Joe Burrow that didn't start the season the way he did. He's still in QB1 territory. You're still probably starting him. If you want to bench him for somebody that's close in the rankings, that's you know somewhere above QB14, that's certainly your prerogative. It might work out. It would have worked out for you last week. Geno Smith, another guy that we need to rebound. What do we do with him? I know that you're not nearly as comfy with week two Geno Smith as you are with week two Joe Burrow. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about Geno, like, you know, long term for the entire season, right? Um, We talked about it a bit in the summer that his play, his play tailed off over the second half of last season. He wasn't as good over the second half as he was in the first half. He was still good during the second half of the season. But I know that his pro football focus passing grade, uh, he was like down in the 20s over the second half of last season. He was 19th in week one in that, you know, disappointing game against the Rams. Another issue for Seattle, it looks like they're going to be without both of their starting tackles. You know, that's a concern this week and going forward. The matchup is as good as you could ask for for Geno Smith. I mean, he gets the Lions. This was the game that produced, I think it was 93 points last season 
this um, Seahawks Lions game. It was in Detroit, in Detroit, as it will be on Sunday. I do think the Lions' defense is going to be better this year than it was last year. I think they showed that That's at least cool. a little bit against the Chiefs. Um, yeah, all right, it's it's a, it's a low bar, but I mean, it's still about as good of a bounce back spot as you could ask for for Gina. So if he struggles on Sunday. I'll be in full-on panic mode about you know Geno Smith and his pass catchers. Pressure would be an issue even if his tackles were healthier, if Charles Cross were healthy. Sixth highest week one pressure rate for Geno Smith, according to Pro Football Focus, among the starting quarterbacks who actually finished the week. Patrick Mahomes was only slightly behind that in his matchup with the Lions, so there could be more pressure this week. The difference, of course, between Mahomes and Geno Smith, Patrick Mahomes tied for the second best passing grade under pressure last week. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Geno Smith is Geno Smith. He was 13th in passing grade against pressure last week. That's exactly where he was last year. So it doesn't kill him, but it doesn't help him. And he was pressured on 33.5% of dropbacks last year versus 44% in week one this year. So if we get pressure from the Lions, that's going to hurt. And when we're looking at Geno Smith versus Joe Burrow, we're talking about Geno Smith, a guy that we drafted around the top of QB2 territory, as opposed to Joe Burrow, who we expect to be an elite quarterback. So you want to be more willing to bet on the potential elite quarterback to bounce back. The other guy, it makes sense to you know, slow play it a little bit, see what happens. He might be a better option for you. I would play Geno Smith this week over Daniel Jones and over Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott's got the Jets. But I would sit Geno Smith in favor of Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins in case you're hearing this before the Thursday night game. Yeah, Seattle only has a 21-point implied total. It's like middling for the week, and you'd expect it to be higher. Again, they put up 45 points in this matchup last year. So I think the Vegas Lions are also telling us to be uh, a bit cautious with the Seahawks offense. Now, if you want to see exactly who we would recommend starting in your specific league, whether it's Geno Smith or somebody else, check your team intel page on DraftSharks.com. It syncs with your league to get your exact scoring and lineup settings, which of course can vary quite a bit by format. Our formula starts with the weekly projections. It includes player upside, and then it clearly displays for you who we would recommend putting into your lineup at every position, no matter what you play with, IDPs, whatever. So check your team intel page for those lineup recommendations. The Chargers offense, Jared, next up here, and they were one of the most surprising things of week one because they went Atlanta Falcons run heavy. Should we expect more of that to continue? God, I hope not. I really hope not. I, I don't. Um, I think it was probably a, a matchup thing, something. And, and look, the running game was super effective. So you can't really blame them for coming out on the run heavier side and sticking with it. I buy that they're going to be a bit run heavier than they were last year when the, you know they were one of the pass heavier teams in the NFL. But I, I still think the Chargers will probably finish the year top 10 in pass rate. And I would definitely expect them to go pass heavy this week against Tennessee, who, you know what, for the past few years now has been one of the bigger pass funnels in the NFL. Their run defense, much, much better than their pass defense. And you have the Austin Eckler injury, right? I mean, he looks iffy with his ankle injury, which obviously hurts the passing game too, but I think it would just uh, make the Chargers more likely to go pass heavy, which, which I definitely think they will do this week. Yeah, there's that matchup factor. There's natural regression because there's just no way that they're going to continue the season like the Falcons because it just doesn't make sense. And then uh, one other factor that um, I heard from Josh Norris of Underdog. And by the way, Josh Norris, I've already mentioned twice, but he's, I think, probably the best scout to fantasy person out there. He and Hayden Winks, we both respect quite a bit. 
Um, he mentioned Vic Fangio, the coordinator for the Miami defense this year, being too high king, which means, you know, you're playing two safeties deep all the time. And that being a scheme where it makes sense to load up the run if you know you have two running backs that you really like, if you know you have the blocking scheme to create space. And they were getting big yards on the ground in that matchup with Miami. And the other factor in play there. Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, coached under Vic Fangio in both Chicago and Denver. So he knows Vic Fangio's scheme. And if that was a driving factor for that game plan against the Dolphins, it makes even more sense because of Brandon Staley's familiarity. So again, just one more reason that it makes sense for it to be a week one plan and not necessarily an overall shift in the offense. I'm betting on plenty of passing this week. I'm looking at Justin Herbert and his wideouts to put up potentially huge numbers against Tennessee. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'll probably be playing Herbert and Co. in DFS again this week. We'll certainly be talking that Friday and probably be playing them until it works out or, you know, you yeah. just run out of money. So the Baltimore backfield has been a big topic ever since J.K. Dobbins went down last Sunday and, of course, through the waiver run. Jared, now we get to see the first game post J.K. Dobbins. People either paid a whole lot for Justice Hill or watched somebody else get him. What should we do with this Ravens backfield now? Yeah, I think ideally you're playing the wait and see game, right? See how it shakes out this week and then maybe consider one of these guys. Um, my biggest question here is how involved Melvin Gordon is going to be, because if this is a three way committee, then it's probably going to be a situation we don't want anything to do with in fantasy lineups. If it's two way, you know, just with Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, I think, you know, both those guys are going to be usable to some extent. If you, you know, if you do have to play one of these guys this week, it is Justice Hill, um, especially with the, with the Ravens being uh, three and a half point underdogs to the Bengals. I do think it's a game where Baltimore is likely to be trailing, playing from behind in the second half. And I, I do think Justice Hill is going to be the primary pass catching back here. Nobody remaining is close to JK Dobbins. That's what we assumed heading into the season. That's what Baltimore's usage before Dobbins went down showed us. It was all Dobbins and one Justice Hill carry until he went down. This week, Justice Hill sits 38th among running backs in our PPR rankings, 37th in non-PPR, 37th and half PPR. So honestly, unless you're in a, a less active league, whatever you paid for Justice Hill is just too much because you probably paid 30 plus percent of your waiver budget to get him. And why are you spending that on a guy that you don't want to start right away? And if the argument against him is matchup pushes him down, why are you spending that much on a running back who matchup can push all the way out of running back three territory? It's just, we are all quick to say, this is the next guy up to me. This is not a situation that has a, the next guy. It has a bunch of guys working to fill in. And that makes the assumed leader not worth it. I don't think you should feel too bad if you spent 30% of your fab on Justice yeah, Hill. Sure. I think, I think, I think we're, I think again, we're in wait and see mode. We're seeing what this looks like. I think there's a chance that we're projecting Baltimore's backfield next week and Justice Hill lands like 25th among running backs. And, you know, if, if, if that's the case, I think in, you know, deeper leagues like the FFPC, I think, you know, 30% is fair. Yeah. I still think everybody who bought Justice Hill this week is going to end up looking back and regretting it or, you know, doing other things to fix it later. But either way, we'll see. Gus Edwards only slightly behind Justice Hill in the rankings. So we'll see exactly how things shake out. DeAndre Swift, by the way, got one carry and two targets in week one. He sits 12 spots ahead of Justice Hill in our PPR rankings, just to put a little bit more context. Jared, away from the Baltimore backfield, give me a running back that disappointed in week one that you're not giving up on yet, whether it's short-term or long-term, or maybe just even a guy that you think is going to rebound significantly this week and be worthwhile. Yeah, this is definitely a more short-term one, but I'm going back to Jamal Williams. I, I want to say I 
underrated the matchup last week and how tough it was against Tennessee. We, we knew Tennessee was tough. You know, give me a running back who plays 75% of the snaps as Jamal Williams does and, you know, gets 18 carries and two targets. I'm probably still starting him against Tennessee last week because there's aren't many running backs who get that type of work. So um, we'll see if Kendra Miller is back. That's a Monday night game. Even if Miller's back, I think Jamal Williams still, you know, dominates backfield work, at least in, in the rookies first game. Um, and this matchup is much easier than last week. Carolina just got blasted by the Falcons running backs. And, you know, Jamal Williams is not as good as B. John Robinson. He's not even as good as Tyler Elgier, but um, it, it's a much easier matchup. The Saints are favored. Game script should be in their favor. I think Jamal Williams has a chance to get, you know, 20 or so touches again on Monday night. Yeah, I agree for all the factors that you mentioned. It's the player that I have down. They're four-point favorites against the Panthers this week, so it should be favorable spot for him. And, you know, just to add context to how much work he got in week one, he w- Jamal Williams was number two narrowly behind Josh Jacobs in carry share among all running backs. So, you know, you mentioned the matchup. Did we underrate it? Maybe, but you can't really project a guy to, to average two and a half yards per carry. Uh, that. That obviously happens plenty of times, but that's not the kind of number we're generally going to project. Now, not rebounding, I think, are the Jets. We're going to talk about what to do with them after Aaron Rodgers. Jared, what is your plan? I mean, whether it differs by Jet or whether it's just a general plan, what are you doing with any Jets you have on your roster? I'm praying for Zach Wilson to either somehow figure it out, which I don't think is going to happen, or for them to, I don't know, make a move. Like, I mean, the guy who came to my my head was Ryan Tannehill, but you know, after what he put out there in week one, I'm not even sure that that'd be an upgrade. So we'll see what the Jets ultimately decide to do. I mean, the Jets have a 14.5 point implied total this week. That's 2.5 points lower than the Cardinals, who you know we know all about the Cardinals. Now it's 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 a it's the Cowboys matchup for uh, the Jets. So you know, couldn't get much worse on the matchup front either. But um, I, I think you're going to see them you know near the bottom of the league and implied total most of the rest of the way. I think. You know, Garrett Wilson's obviously the big loser here you know, with, the, with the quarterback downgrade. I'm gonna, we're going to give uh, Josh Norris another shout out because I saw him tweet that um, Garrett Wilson was the wide receiver 60 last year in games with Zach Wilson. You know, that's that's the floor. I, th- I think it'll be better than that. But that's the floor. You know, even Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook, I think, have to get downgrades just because this Jets offense is not going to be as good as you know we thought it was going to be with Rodgers. I was not excited about the Jets, even with Aaron Rodgers in place. So I don't have to make a whole lot of decisions on Jets this week, fortunately. If I did have them, I would be selling them for anything of actual value. I'm not, you know, just dumping everybody, but I would sell absolutely every single piece for whatever valuables I could get in return. Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, uh, Alan Lazard, I would drop for somebody on the waiver wire, honestly, because the only reason to draft Alan Lazard at all was because Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers came in with the downside to have this team disappoint anyway because he is old and it's a brand new team and we don't really know a whole lot about how it was going to go, but he's at least Aaron Rodgers. So it was like, a, all right, let's see what happens. I want some of this guy just in case. Now that it's gone, Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. Is he probably a better version of last year's Zach Wilson this year? Probably, but only because he can't get any worse. He got yanked from a game for Chris Streveler at one point last year. This is as bad as a situation could get in one play. So I would unload everybody. I think there is a sell window on Garrett Wilson because of that awesome touchdown catch he made in that game. I would take it if that opportunity arises. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think if you can get, you know, top 
18, even top 20 type of wide receiver value in uh, return for Wilson. I do, because I, I don't think he's going to you know, produce better than that going forward. We talked about what to do with Geno Smith coming off of that game last week. Let's go to the other side for a couple of players that were also popular on waivers this week. And now what we do with those players going forward. It's Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams. We were talking about running backs mostly so far, more so than wide receivers. So let's start with Kyron Williams, Jared. And I know you have an irrational hatred for him. So we need to lay that groundwork here. Yet you still projected Kyron Williams ahead of the Ravens running backs. Despite a matchup with the 49ers this week, Williams dominated playing time in week one. This spot is even better suited for him versus Cam Akers in that the receiving is much more likely to present any value that's there than the rushing is. They're likely to be trailing. Of course, we thought that heading into last week against Seattle, but I would say even more so this week against San Francisco. So Kyron Williams, for me, is the easy play over Cam Akers. Doesn't make him a good play, though. He's still RB3 territory in our rankings. Yeah, this is not a good spot for anyone on the Rams. I mean, if, you know, the Jets have the toughest matchup this week, um, you know, that the Rams have the second toughest, and you might even be able to flip those. I think, you know, the Niners and Cowboys look like the two best defenses in the NFL right now. The Rams are eight-point underdogs with an 18.5-point implied total. You're probably not getting three running back touchdowns from the Rams like you did last week. Like you said, if you're playing Kyron Williams, you are playing him for the pass catching upside. He, he ran a route on 71% of the dropbacks last week, which is actually an, an absurd number for a running back. Like very few running backs reach that territory. So th- that's the good news that could keep him, you know, as a decent RB three or flex in PPR leagues. As for, Puka Nakua, I mean, I looked at Stafford's numbers against San Fran last year, 254 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception in the first meeting, 187 yards, one touchdown in the second meeting. Cooper Cup did go off in both those games. He had 14 catches for 122 yards and then eight catches for 79 yards and a touchdown. And why am I making that comparison? Because I do think Puka Nakua is in the Cooper Cup role at this point. He's running the same routes. He's lining up in the same areas of field that Cooper Cup did. He's not as good as Cooper Cup. So I'm not expecting him to, you know, post those types of lines. But my, my point is the Rams and Stafford could struggle and Puka could still have a decent fantasy game if he gets the type of volume he did in week one. So I do think uh, Nakua is still in wide receiver three discussion this week. Jared, you skipped the question that is on everybody's minds, though. Is Puka Nakua eating the same breakfast? <laughs> he must be. That's the only All explanation, right? right? That could be what could drive him to produce this week. Listen, I think whether to play Puka Nakua this week depends on exactly what you have invested in him. Because if you paid a lot to get him this week, then play him. Because paying a lot on waivers to get him is a bet that last week was a preview of what's going to be a surprise season and not just a fluke. So if that's your bet, then go ahead and play him because we're all going to get players right and wrong every week. The rankings are going to have guys that are way off either up or down. So if you made that bet, go ahead and make the bet this week, especially in a spot that we expect them to be trailing and throwing a lot. You mentioned the yardage from Matthew Stafford in that first meeting last year. He threw 48 passes. So if that happens again, Nakua could at least have a solid day. He did jump way up our rankings versus week one, of course, because nobody was expecting what happened in week one. But Nakua is just slightly still outside of the top 36. And that might not seem to match up with what I'm saying about you should play him if you bought him this week. But we're not projecting him as though we paid a bunch to get him this week. We're just projecting Puka Nakua like he's a player. That's just what we do. So if you already had Nakua on your roster heading into last week or you got him cheap this week, maybe in a league that's less active on waivers, 
I think there's less of a need to push him into the lineup. If you have a better option, you know, go ahead and take it. And we'll see what we don't know yet what better options are. We probably we might have just watched his very best game of the season. We might have watched the beginning of something special. We don't know. So if you invested a lot this week to get him, go ahead and get a look and see what happened. If you didn't and he was just on your roster, make your decision based on your options available. Yeah, I mean, we're projecting Nakua as the lead Rams wide receiver, but not the dominant 15 target wide receiver for the Rams. I mean, Tutu Atwell had a nice game too. It wouldn't be a shock if Tutu Atwell outproduces Puka Nakua this week. Cause, you know, I know people don't want to hear that, but it's definitely, it would not be a shock. And frankly, it wouldn't be a shock if Van Jefferson winds up outperforming Puka Nakua. Yeah. It would feel like a shock. It'll feel yeah. like a shock if it happens, but it shouldn't. I mean, there's yeah. we have one game to go on from Puka Nakua. So we are through that first in-season run of waivers with those guys we just talked about. If you have multiple teams or even just struggle to find time during the week, with that most important team of yours, managing the waivers. Our free agent finder is ready to help you. It syncs with your specific league. It highlights the top available options in your league. It gives you several ways to rate them versus what is currently on your roster. You can sort by this week's projections. You can sort by rest of season. You can look at what the market thinks of that player. If you want to compare it to what we think of that player, sometimes that varies a lot. Sometimes those numbers are pretty close, but all of that makes it easier, not only for you to see who to pick up, but also to decide who to drop, because that can be a tough question every week. So use the free agent finder. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. Become a Draft Sharks insider now. You can use the free agent finder and all of our tools through the rest of the season. And if you want recommendations on how much to spend in your waiver bids to get certain players, check out our in-depth waiver wire article that comes out every single Tuesday to help you with just that. Now, Jared, we're going to go to the wide receivers. Give me your favorite guy that let you down in week one, but you're going right back to this week. I like Jahan Dotson a lot this week. He didn't kill you last week if you're in a PPR league, but he had, you know, Five catches for 40 scoreless yards and you know, kind of a disappointing game for the Washington offense. Sounds general, like a good but... Logan Thomas impression. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, the routes were there for Dotson. He saw seven targets for a 23% target share. That's a strong number. And it's really the matchup I like here this week. I think Terry McLaurin's going to see a lot of you know Broncos all-pro corner Pat Sertan. And that's going to put Jahan Dotson on Damari Mathis. You want to know why Jacoby Myers went off last week? It's because he was in primary coverage against Jamari Mathis. And Mathis, last week against the Raiders, gave up eight catches, 95 yards, and two touchdowns in coverage. I think that's Dotson's uh, turn to pick on Mathis. I think he's going to be the commander's wide receiver to have a big game. I'm going to go back to Tyler Lockett. And four, four targets, two catches, 10 yards in week one, obviously, makes you iffy about putting him back in in week two. If the Seattle pass offense remains anywhere close to what it was in week one, then the whole thing is in trouble. Everybody there is in trouble. Geno Smith last year, though, averaged 251.9 yards per game. He ranked fifth for the season in passer rating. Imperfect stat, I know, but still a measure. He threw for 112 last week and barely beat Zach Wilson in passer rating. But you know, Smith also finished ahead of Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen in that category. So all that is to say there's rebound potential. And to me, Tyler Lockett is a good way of making a mild bet on Geno Smith and the whole pass offense rebounding because Geno Smith could still have a rough outing and Tyler Lockett can have a fine game. Tyler Lockett did work well ahead of Jackson Smith and Jigba last week. He's in all sets, whereas JSN is only on the field for three wide sets. So again, even if you want to slow play Geno, even if you're worried about him, 
I say you go ahead and put Lockett back into your lineup this week, unless you have three other guys that are higher than wide receiver 23 in PPR. Please, please bounce back, Seahawks offense. We need we need you. Jared, speaking of bounce backs, what do we do with Drake London and Kyle Pitts? Any hope for them uh, being rubber this week? Honestly, my opinion on these guys has not changed. And I know we were below consensus on Drake London preseason um i think we were probably about with consensus on kyle pitts he wasn't a guy that you know i think we were recommending you draft a ton of but i think he was okay at his price i again i feel the same about them at this point we knew this falcons offense was going to be like this now atlanta ran 48 plays last week and threw 18 passes that's extreme even for this arthur smith offense i think they averaged like 24 passes a game last week which was a you know, pretty big jump up from 18 and then you look at these two guys specifically drake london was out there for 92% of the pass plays. That's all you could ask for. Kyle Pitts was also out there for 92% of the pass plays. That's an elite number for a tight end. Even Pitts, you know, 17% target share last week. Not a horrible number. It's just when you throw 18 passes, it's tough for anyone to do anything. I still view Drake London as a, you know, wide receiver three. And I still view Kyle Pitts as a, you know, mid-range tight end one that has, you know, probably the widest range of outcomes among those mid-range tight end ones. So we'll see where the offense goes, you know, from here this week. But again, I I don't feel that much differently about these guys than they did uh, seven days ago. Yeah, I think Pitts is a lot more in you need to play him range because if you drafted him, you probably drafted him as a top six tight end. So you should take more than one game to decide that he isn't. I, I mean, if you have another guy like Hayden Hurst, Luke Musgrave, Hunter Henry, it's okay to lean that way if you want to. That's not our recommendation, but it's okay if you want to. For me, the reason that I'm okay with taking a week off from them is I'm not scared of missing something huge on either player. That's true of Kyle Pitts. It's especially true of Drake London, though, because like you said, if I drafted him, it was as a wide receiver three. And so that guy, I'm more willing to sit this week for somebody else, you know, in a similar range and take a shot on that person outperforming London for a team that a team being the Falcons that doesn't want to uh, leverage Drake London all the time. It would like to run the ball as much as possible. So I guess what I'm saying is with London, I'm not scared of missing something big if I sit him this week for somebody else that's also worthwhile, not just for whatever I can get. I mean, Upside for Drake London this week is like five catches for 70 yards. That would be a very good game versus what he did last week. That's not a scary number to miss. It might be more than what the guy gets that I put in the lineup for him, but I'm not scared of missing that ceiling. So I'm okay with taking a break from him, seeing what the Falcons look like this week, and then, you know, assessing from there going forward. Yeah, London also has a tough matchup against Jair Alexander, who I think was at least part of the reason that DJ Moore did nothing for the Bears last week. I think Moore saw Alexander in primary coverage. So I agree. I think I think London is definitely benchable. Pitts is tougher to bench because I think, like you were saying, his relative ceiling is a lot better you know compared to the other tight ends than London is compared to you know the, the other wide receivers yes I will grant him that the other reason for DJ Moore by the way I think is Justin Fields yeah. streaming defenses to close this thing out week two Jared who's your favorite streaming D speaking of Justin Fields I'm gonna gonna t- keep attacking the Bears until they you know give me a reason not to right I mean I think we, we recommended the, the Packers last week they had four sacks and two takeaways in that game against Chicago uh, the Bucks are the next team to get the Bears so I think the Bucks are a good streamer um, and I think the Broncos um, you know despite the fact that Jahan Dawson's gonna have a big game on Sunday I do like the Broncos defense uh, I mean again the commanders only put up 20 points or 248 total yards at home for the Cardinals in week one so you know that that could definitely be a offense we're attacking with our with our defenses in fantasy this year 
Yeah, if you're looking to stream the Broncos this week, you probably already had to pick them up. They're highly owned on Yahoo right now. But if you're still looking for one right now, the Giants are only rostered in 37% of Yahoo leagues. They are at the Cardinals this week. So playing the Cardinals is going to be a pretty good bet um, for your fantasy defense, at least until Kyler Murray returns. Uh, We'll see about after that. The Browns, certainly a good option if you can. They're 54% rostered on Yahoo right now, so less available. But If they're both available, the Giants and the Browns, I would pick up the Browns. They're at Pittsburgh this week, which the Steelers were as bad and maybe worse as I feared they would be heading into week one. And then the Browns get Tennessee next week. So you've got a two-week option there, whereas the Giants are at San Francisco in week three. Not going to want to use them for that. And just in general, if you're looking for a streaming defense and it's close between two of them, Look for who that look for who those defenses have coming up and try to get a multi-week streamer if you can. Just makes it easier to get through your season. Streaming defense for week three, Jared. You talked about attacking the Bears. That's my target for week three is the yeah. Chiefs. Home game against the Bears. Chris Jones, the defensive tackle, will have a game under his belt since returning from his holdout by that point. And then in week four, they're at the Jets. So you know, maybe even if you're looking ahead right now, grab the Chiefs, stash them for week three and four. Yeah, Chiefs are my top target here, too. My my second favorite target is the team the Chiefs are playing this week, the Jags. Kind of sucks that you can't use either of those Ds this week, um, you know, playing each other. But um, the Jags get Houston in week three. And Houston in week one was one of the faster-paced offenses, and they threw more than expected based on game script. If that's going to be how they, how they play offense this season with a rookie quarterback behind a bad offensive line, that's going to be a good – offense to attack this year just for sack and takeaway opportunities yeah so target that one and uh, check back for rankings updates throughout the week to see if anything changes right up until sunday kickoff we will be you know altering things on an as-needed basis as we get more info on injuries any other stories that pop up along the way and of course any weather that might be a factor for that game our goal in the end with everything we do is to try to help you win this week and to win this season (laughs) 